This is part two of our series on religion. Last episode, we discussed Islam and the separation of church and state, and today we are talking about religion and science. We are joined here in the studio by Steve Paulson, who is executive producer of the wonderful nationally syndicated radio program, To the Best of Our Knowledge, from Wisconsin Public Radio. His work has been featured in Salon and Slate on NPR's Morning Edition and All Things Considered. Uh, and he's been interviewing people about uh, religion and questions about religion and how that relates to science for a very long time. He's collected many of these wonderful interviews in a book called Atoms and Eden, very clever title, uh, Conversations on Religion and Science. And I, I just want to say that Lauren and I are so excited to have a real live radio person in our studio. Because we don't really know what we're doing. <laughs> um, so Steve, to start us off, uh, you want to tell us the turkey story? Um, in 2008, I uh, went to Turkey with a group of journalists as part of uh, something called the International Reporting Project. And uh, uh, we, we traveled around Turkey and we spent some time in Istanbul. And before I went, I had heard about uh, a guy named Harun Yahya, who is the leading Islamic creationist in the world. He has a huge media empire, not just in Turkey, but throughout the Muslim world, and in fact, in a lot of Islamic communities throughout Europe, in, in the United States. His literature is out there, and it's, a lot of it is anti-evolution. So he's a huge critic of Darwinism, and, and he has kind of a, uh, well, some people say he runs a cult. And so I thought, oh, I should interview this guy when I'm in Istanbul. <laughs> so uh, when I was, before I went out there, I, I sent an email to his assistant a week or two before I left. And I wasn't even sure that if I wanted to do this because I had heard that, uh, oh, it, he didn't speak English. And so if I hired a, a guide to get out to his house, that would be $300 right there. I might need extra money for a translator. And, you know, I, my time was really limited in Istanbul. Anyway, I thought, well, I'll just test the waters. So I um, sent this email, and five minutes later, his assistant called me back and said, oh, sure, uh, you know, we'd be happy to arrange for an interview. And, um, oh, yes, we can uh, send a driver to your hotel and pick you up and take you out to his house on the other side of Istanbul. And, oh, yes, we can provide a translator as well. And so I, uh, so I was picked up, and very nice people took me out there. The driver pulled off to the side of the road at one point, in hopped the translator, and they started joking about their accents and, uh, you know, which accent was better for picking up girls. And I was thinking, this is not really my image of an Islamic creationist. Uh, and then finally, we get out to this very modern house on uh, the other side of Istanbul, uh, huge glass doors looking out to a fancy swimming pool, big plasma uh, uh, TV in the back. And, and then there were Klieg lights and a whole setup to tape our interview. So I wasn't the only one taping the interview. It turns out they were turning this into a TV production. I had three technicians there. And, and then the, the Harun Yahya, actually his, that's his pen name. His real name is Adnan Akhtar. He walks in. It's sort of like a... Uh, you know, stepping out from behind the curtain, and he has kind of this trademark white suit with a black T-shirt, uh, sort of a, a large man, and very gracious throughout the interview. Um, but it was kind of a, a strange interview because when I asked, so how can all the evolutionary biologists be wrong, he said, it's the Masons. I said, oh, really? Uh, they, they would be surprised to hear that. And he said, uh, 
well, that's because Masons keep everything secret. And then he went on to talk about um, uh, the Darwinists as being part of a satanic cult that breed like mosquitoes in a pond. And uh, it was just, it was one of the strangest interviews I've done. And and Harun Yahya has a, it's a very, he has sort of very peculiar status in Turkey. He's actually been uh, sentenced to three years in jail for running a, an extortion gang. And there have been allegations of drugs and coercion, and he's appealing that. So he's not actually in jail right now. And he has both very powerful enemies and powerful friends in Turkey. Um, very complicated case. And he's kind of a fascinating guy. And it's a total mystery where his money comes from. He obviously has a lot of money in his organization because he puts out all this literature, um, videos, uh, books, tapes, and no one actually knows how it's paid for. So it's kind of a mystery, and it was, for me, an interesting glimpse into um, this rather unusual character. Well, in your book, you have so many interviews. Which is your favorite? I have, I have, I like all the interviews, but there are a few probably that hit home, especially for me. Uh, one is with Richard Dawkins, uh, the famous atheist, and I think the most interesting exchange that we had was where I was asking him, "Well, do you think about these sort of these big cosmic questions of where we come from?" And he says, basically, those are inappropriate questions. Well, let's take a listen to a little bit of what Dawson had. Dawson, Dawson's Creek. Um, let's take a listen uh, to part of your interview with Richard Dawkins. What about the old adage that science deals with the how questions and religion deals with the why questions? Yes, I think that's remarkably stupid, if I may say so. What on earth is a why question? There are why questions that mean something in a Darwinian world. We say, why do birds have wings to fly with? They don't mean that, though. They mean why in a sort of deliberate, purposeful sense. Those of us who don't believe in religion, supernatural religion, would say there is no such thing as a why question in that sense. Now, the mere fact that you can frame a, an English sentence beginning with the word why does not mean that that English sentence deserves or should receive an answer. I could say, why are unicorns hollow? That's a perfectly good English sentence. It appears to mean something, but you don't think that it deserves an answer. But it seems to me that the big why questions are, why are we here? And what is our purpose in life? Okay, that's a what question, but it's basically a why question. And no, it, it, that's right. It, it is, it is a, a why question, but it's not a question that deserves an answer. Well, but I think most people would say, those questions which are central to the way most people think about their lives. I mean, those are the big existential questions, but those are also questions that are beyond science. If you mean what is the purpose of the existence of the universe, then I'm saying that that is quite simply begging the question. If you happen to be religious, you think that's a meaningful question. Those of us who don't believe in a god will say that is as illegitimate as the question, why are unicorns hollow? It just shouldn't be put. It's not a proper question to put. It doesn't deserve an answer. So maybe you and Richard Dawkins do not see eye to eye, but we know that on, to the best of our knowledge, you also had a chance to interview uh, somebody who you very much look up to. Um, the last interview in the book is with Jane Goodall, the famous primatologist, the person who really revolutionized the, the study of primates and, uh, and revealed uh, 
new insights into what it means to be human. And I had I grew up idolizing Jane Goodall. I mean, she was she was my hero. I wanted to be like Jane Goodall, and uh, obviously it didn't work out that way. But um, I ended up. You got a pretty good gig. <laughs> um, and so it was a treat for me to go back and interview her years later, and uh, and she is a she's a wonderful woman, and she, I mean she's she's obviously very famous. Um, she's interesting because first of all, she came to science in a totally unconventional way. She had no scientific training when she went off to study chimpanzees in, in Gombe. She had been a secretary. And she says that that was actually a gift for her because she she didn't go into the field being told that you're only supposed to see certain kinds of things. And so, I mean, one of the, the revolutionary aspects of her work is she um, she noticed that chimpanzees have different kind of personalities, and she she gave names to her 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 chimpanzees, not just numbers. And and she goes on from there and talks about how I mean she she it gets very speculative about this. She thinks that chimpanzees might have um, proto religious experiences. Um, she she describes watching chimps um, pass by a waterfall and stop and. Uh, and listen, and she thinks, you know, I mean, it sort of gives me a sense that maybe they have some sense of awe and wonder, which is a bit like, I mean, she speculates here that maybe what our ancient ancestors, our human ancestors must, might have thought, maybe that that uh, goes back to the very beginnings of the first uh, religious uh, glimmers. Okay, well, let's listen to a little bit of her interview. This is Steve Paulson interviewing Jane Goodall. Did you find yourself wondering... What was happening inside the mind of a chimpanzee? Constantly. I still maintain if I could be inside the mind of a chimpanzee for just a few minutes, I would learn more about them than another goodness knows how many years of study because we can guess what they're thinking, but how do they think? How do they think? Are they thinking in pictures? How do you think without words? I spent ages thinking about that, wondering about it. Were there any particular moments when you felt like you had a better understanding of that? One moment was very, very special, and that was when I was sitting in the forest with David Greybeard, and I picked up a fruit and held it out to him, and he turned his head away, and I put my hand closer, and he turned, looking directly into my eyes, he reached out, took the fruit, dropped it, he really didn't want it, and then he very gently squeezed my hand, which is how chimpanzees reassure each other. And so... In that moment, we communicated in a way that seems to predate words, perhaps in a way that was used by our own common ancestor millions of years ago. And it was an extraordinary feeling. It was bridging these two worlds. It sounds like you're very drawn to this, this whole idea of somehow knowing the world without language, without words. I am fascinated by it. I always have been. I mean, we think with words. And when we don't think with words, I think we come close to what mystics might describe as a, as a mystical experience because I don't think that words would come into that. Did you have experiences like that at Gombe? I mean, w- what we would call mystical experiences? Yeah, sometimes. One was just when I'd been following a little group of chimpanzees and I was very wet and they climbed in the evening up into this tree which had new shoots of beautiful lime green and the sun behind them was making them shine and the trunks of the trees were still wet 
and the chimpanzees' coats were black ebony shot with little gleams of chestnut, and the smell of ripe figs was strong in the air, and then this beautiful male bushbuck appeared with his coat dark with the rain and his spiralled horns gleaming and just stood there, and it seemed I could hear the insects really loud and clear, and it was it was just incredibly vivid beingness and being at one with that beautiful world. Sounds like you lost your sense of your own self. Well, that's it, totally losing sense of one's own self, and that's the only way I can really study animals, because if I'm on my own, I forget that I'm there. So your interview with Jane Goodall makes me think of the connection between the mind and the soul and whether or not the soul even exists. And if so, does it continue on after we die? Well, one of the I have come to believe that probably the, the biggest question in the whole science and religion debate has to do with the mind-brain problem. I mean, the, the question is whether uh, the mind is nothing but the, the physical mechanics of the brain, the, the neurons, the synaptic connections, the, the brain chemistries. Is that the stuff that totally explains what happens in the mind? And uh, that certainly is the dominant view of brain scientists, especially neuroscientists. People with a religious bent tend to think that there must be some part of the mind that goes beyond that. Um, be, uh, there must be some part of the mind that connects to some larger intelligence, maybe God, out there. And you cannot reduce that just to brain chemistry. And I've gotten all kinds of different responses, even from atheists. I mean, what is interesting is that there are some atheists, like Daniel Dennett, the philosopher at Tufts, who would say... Um, the, the mind can be totally explained by what happens in the brain, um, and he thinks that all of the, kind of the, the mysteries will be resolved in the coming decades. Another, I mean, Richard Dawkins, the most famous atheist out there, would say, you know, actually, consciousness is a huge problem. We, we may never be able to explain it. And then there's Sam Harris, another uh, leading atheist, who says that, and he's a, he's a neuroscientist, but he's also a, a longtime Buddhist meditator, and he says it's not at all clear that um, consciousness is just rooted in the brain. And, and the thing that really uh, astonished me was he, he started talking about having had telepathic experiences. And this is Sam Harris, the, the atheist. Um, and so it's just it's, it, when you start peeling away the surface, you get to, uh, you get to complexities and, uh, and a lot of surprises. So to wrap this up, Steve, what is your definition of God? Oh, wow. <laughs> I don't think you can have one definition of God. I don't think, and I, I don't think science can, can explain God. I think you can, um, well, there, let me mention one other uh, person I interviewed, Ken Wilber, who's a, a philosopher. Uh, he uh, has founded something kind of called integral philosophy. And when I asked him what he, how he thinks about God, and he says, well, there are really three ways to think about God. There is what he would call God in the third person, so God out there. It's the, the God, and the, the, probably a lot of Christians would, would talk about sort of the God as a, you know, as a being out there. And then there's the God as sort of as uh, sort of a, in the second person, so you have a relationship with God. There's the I, thou, sort of you're in communication. And then there is the more mystical sense of God, which would be, 
I am God, or God is a part of me, um, God is within me, and that's, uh, so God is not sort of objectified out there, and uh, and that's, uh, and I'm particularly interested in, in mystical experience, um, and so, I mean, that's just, that's just one glimpse, and many people have, have different ideas of God, and, and, you know, it's a, it's a very personal thing for a lot of people, and it might not even be intellectual at all, and I, I this is sort of, you know, kind of heady stuff that we're talking about. Um, and uh, for some people, it's just, it's an experience. It's just a feeling that you've had this connection with God. And, uh, you know, who is it for me? I, it's, not, it's not up to me to say that's, a, you know, a valid or an invalid experience. It's, you know, it's, it's very personal. Well, Steve, thank you so much for letting us interview you, uh, a real radio producer. Um, everybody, to the best of our knowledge, uh, from Wisconsin Public Radio is available as a podcast on iTunes, uh, much like the Oxford comment. So if you're not subscribing, you should certainly do so. Uh, we also are going to do a giveaway of Steve Paulson's books, Atoms and Eden. All you have to do to enter to win um, the collection of these wonderful interviews is to email us at blog at oup.com, uh, subject line... Steve, how about that? Um, subject line, Steve. Uh, the full details of exactly how we'll be uh, choosing who wins will be available uh, on our website, blog.oup.com. And as always, thank you to the Ben Daniels Band. Absolutely, we love them. Um, and Lauren, you know, it, it's been a long series on religion, our first ever two-parter. So it's a big step, big step. <laughs> it is. And, you know, I think we should turn the mic to our studio audience and see what they think. That would be fantastic to do, except that you forget this podcast is you and me sitting alone in a room talking to each other. Lauren, what about John? Oh, right, John. Yeah, John. Um, some of you might remember John from the end of episode one, which was about booze. Um, yeah, I did forget about him. He's, he's kind of weird. Uh, so, John, what questions do you have about religion? Why are you not going to tell him?